What's up, everybody? This is the Follow You Anywhere podcast, and this is episode 55. We are back in a normal routine. Spring break is over, and we got a little calm two-week period before the biggest Sunday of the year, Easter Sunday. Cam, you ready for Easter? No. What? Mm -mm. You better be ready. You got a large role to play in it. No. Not ready. I hope so. Nope. We got good plans in place. <laughs> oh, I might yeah. call in sick. <laughs> you better not call in <laughs> sick. We're gonna we're gonna break records this year. We're we're filling this place up. If the Collinsworth family can get sixteen hundred ninety people in here, so can our risen savior. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Them sort of gospel concerts. Give you a mark to shoot for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we're going to continue with uh, what we started a couple of weeks ago, a question and answer, or some would call it a Q&A. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. <laughs> Cam's got Q&A PTSD. <sighs> uh, Q&A for me. I'm leaving. Uh, actually, Q&A for both of us. He's he's the Q, I'm the A. But uh, questions for <laughs> pastors. And I've got a, I've got a good uh, way to tell you I'm ready, Cam, for whatever questions you got. You ready? Sure. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Man, who is that? They got some chops. I've never heard of him. Whatever. <laughs> uh, shout that out is... to Chris Stapleton for winning three Grammys on Sunday. Shout out to Cam Stapleton for <laughs> getting us ready for these questions that's right fire away i'm ready are let's you, hear them are you sure you're ready uh, i mean as ready as you can be for a q a when you don't know what the questions are going to be hmm. interesting <laughs> let's hear them all right first question kind of silly but serious are you ready for it yeah so pastor why do we have to change the carpet? What do you mean? Why do we have to change the way our church looks? Oh, okay. I was I, I thought you were specifically referring to carpet that needs to be no, just, replaced because yeah. it's damaged. Well, I mean, that's a good reason. <laughs> I mean, practically, that's that's a good reason. Yeah. Why do we, why do we have to change the carpet? Why but, do we have to change the pews? Why do we have to change the way things look? I like my church. I like the way that they've been. They've been just fine. Yeah. Well, that's not I, a good enough answer, sir. Sorry. I, no, I mean, I, don't I think know. No. That why do we uh, have to why do we have to change it? I just <laughs> just it just doesn't make sense to me. I don't think you have to change anything. I'm not tithing anymore if things don't say the way that they are. <laughs> Later, is is this a question and answer or an interrogation? Well, sometimes question and answers become interrogation. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> no, um I don't think you have to change anything, but 
uh, if you're going to take care of the building that God's entrusted you with, typically change does take place. I mean, even if you change out your carpet or your paint for the exact same color carpet or the exact same color paint, um, maintenance and uh, taking care of the the facilities is is part of owning a building. And we have a building, and we we own it, and we need to be good stewards of the building that God that God has given us. And so, updating things is part of taking care of the building. But in terms of changing style or design, things like that, I think it just goes with the importance of your or, or the understanding of the fact that you're engaging a culture that, um, you know, there's certain elements or designs that are more welcoming, uh, that are less dated, that, that communicate more uh, of a message that says we're alive and we're growing. And a lot of times, if you stay the same, that's not what you communicate. And so, you know, you don't want people coming in and thinking you're dead, dated, and boring. You want people coming in uh, believing just because of what they see and the the environment that they find themselves in, that you're alive, that you're vibrant, and that you're growing. And there are a lot of different ways that you can demonstrate that you are alive, vibrant, and growing, but those things typically take time. Uh, Those aren't typically things that they're going to get on the first visit, but what they will get on the first visit is a feeling of the environment. And if the environment feels like it's dead, dated, and boring, then they might not come back uh, to give you a shot at demonstrating throughout the other aspects of the service and the ministries of the church that you really are a church that's alive, dynamic, and growing. Yeah. Another question. Oh, no. I hate this. Oh, stop it. Spam. Go away. Oh, no. I done been spammed. Uh Uh-oh. I was the 500th search or 500th viewer of the Uh page. (laughs) Great. You want an iPad. Yeah, let me get out of here. Congratulations. So another question. I wasn't going to ask this one yet, but just since my phone decided to, (laughs) I got to go back to my questions. So this is another one that I was going to get to eventually, but um, how do pastors lead their churches out of or off of plateaus? Mm. Um, You know, people may not quite understand this question, and so I'll give them an example well, before you go any further, um, I think I'd rather lead them out of a plateau than off of a plateau. Well, you know. <laughs> because I think that implies that you're leading them off a cliff. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Out of a plateau. <laughs> Just straight into thin air. Out, out of it. Um, so a church that's experiencing maybe spiritual or numerical or just overall plateauing, um, is, is real. Um, it it happens, uh, probably more often than, you know, we, we want it to, uh, some would probably argue that it's better almost to be a church 
going backwards tend to just be a church sitting still and plateaued because mm. um, going backwards probably causes for more alarm, which then causes for more um, action. Mm. Uh, being plateaued kind of leaves you in a comfortable potential state. Um, there's actually a church that I worked for that was uh, in a plateaued state, um, but I was not aware of that when I got hired. How long had it been that way? Um, several years. Um, and, and so the, the thing that was unfortunate for me was um, as I was being interviewed and visiting the church, it was local to my community, so I could go to that church a couple times before ever mm-hmm. really it being known that I was being interviewed. And so I went and visited the church, um, and the church was vibrant. The church was excited. They were launching new plans and growth strategies, and they were partnering with, um, they were actually going from being kind of an independent church to being a part of um, Church of the Highlands Network, Mm -hmm. um, and just a lot of, like, a lot of cool things happening. Um, and so they were absorbing some of their principles, growth tracks and serve teams and those types of things. And people seemed all on board. And so that Sunday, the pastor preached that introductory message to them joining. I was like, man, this is, this is great. Like, yeah. What I didn't know is that was kind of his last hoorah (laughs) to try and get the church out of this plateau that they had been in. They'd been in this vicious cycle, kind of in some way similar to uh, this region, um, military town that had a lot of family turnover. Mm -hmm. So the church was just off the base. So a lot of military families came. Church wasn't small. I mean, church wasn't huge, wasn't small. Ran about 250 to 300. Mm -hmm. And um, But the problem was is that 250 to 300 turned over like... 50 families at a time sometimes. Oh, wow. Um, Maybe not quite that many, but when when stations would change, you know, you'd have lots of families that would be impacted and be moving and stuff like that. Yeah, 50 families would be half the church. Yeah, I mean, there were some some moments where within the year you had a whole cycle of new people. Wow. Like like you had your pillars. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, so... Um, but what I was unaware, he had been the pastor for like 10 years. And what I was unaware is that the church had kind of been in that cycle of having its pillar people and then having its military families, those military families would come and go and, uh, and they couldn't get out outside of that. And this was his last big push to do something different. But it was being presented to me as this is our future. And I'm like, yeah, this is great. Like, let's go. But a year after that plan did not produce the change that he was looking for, he left. And then we were only a three staff member church. And so, um, so that was tough. And so in some cases it's, it's not possible to, to lead out of a plateau. Mm-hmm. Um, but so there may not be just there's there's probably not going to be just a black and white answer. But in your opinion, mm-hmm. um, how do you how do you do that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely don't think there's just a simple, hey, this is the answer. I think there's a lot of things that you have to do. The biggest is you got to constantly remind your people that 
this is much bigger than any individual. This is much bigger than uh, us as a local church. I mean, we're a part of a movement of God, and you've got to create that vision that finds its basis and its foundation in the Great Commission that uh, God gives us very clearly in His Word that we're to go out and make disciples. And there's no way to make disciples without growing because the definition of a disciple is someone who learns and carries on the information to make disciples. And, And so if you have true disciples, if you are truly fulfilling the Great Commission, then you're going to grow numerically, and you're also going to grow spiritually because through that process of discipleship, not only are you reaching new people, you're teaching new people. And so the the teaching and the reaching are both uh, growing, and so the numbers naturally are going to grow. The spiritual maturity is going to grow, and then you've got to be able to just continually cast that vision, kind of like what I was talking about uh, Sunday. Um, we're destined to make a difference. Like God has us here to to make a difference in the lives of the people that he's placed us around in his kingdom. And he's given us a, a purpose that involves impacting and influencing others. And as we do that, uh, you, you don't stay in a plateaued state. Now, the way churches remain in plateaued states normally, or like you said, begin going backwards, is when they become inwardly focused, they get complacent, they feel like they've achieved what they've wanted to achieve, or they get tired yeah. and uh, they just you know, don't have the energy to keep going. So I think you need that energy, I think you need that vision, that purpose, and you need someone that can continue to rally the troops, so to speak, and say, hey, we've got to keep going, we've got to keep moving, we've got work to do, Uh, God's blessing, but uh, there's still so many people that need to be reached. Yeah, that's good. A little bit more practical uh, question than that. why don't we do communion every week? Well, I think for for one, this isn't necessarily just a question for our church. This is just a generalized, you know, yeah. why ch- some churches do, some churches don't. Why? Why is there a difference in opinion? Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's a couple things practically, like the amount of time and resources that it would take to do it every week are pretty substantial. Yeah. I mean, you've got. I mean, especially now that we're not even doing the uh, the crackers and and the poor juice, we're doing the individually wrapped elements. I mean, to invest in enough of those every Sunday would. I mean, that we're doing it once on average, probably once a quarter. If we went to doing it every Sunday, we would take the cost that we have. Um, budgeted for that, and we would multiply it by like twelve to fourteen. Mm-hmm. So, and and that's per quarter. And so, if you take 
into consideration that we're doing if we're doing it on average once a quarter uh that's four times a year and we went to doing it 52 times a year then that's uh help me out with that that's 13 times right yeah thir- four times 13 40 52 yeah so so 13 times the amount uh that, that we're spending right now we would spend so there, there is a financial side of it, but then, you know, the other side to it, uh, not just the amount of time and, and money that we would invest into doing it every week, but also the significance of the ordinance and how special it is. I think that if you're not careful, and, and it doesn't necessarily mean that this is always the case, and there are other ways you can guard against this other than not doing it every week, but I think sometimes when you do something the same way every week it becomes more of a ritual yeah it becomes more liturgical in the sense that you know that's just kind of what you do every Sunday because that's what you're supposed to do and I mean even when you consider worship uh, when you consider preaching when you consider our offering moments like we do those things every week but we do them differently Mm-hmm. each week to add some variety, uh, to, to add, um, you know, a different level of, of energy or, you know, create some different uh, experiences in, in the way that we present those things. And you can't do that with the Lord's Supper. There, there's one way to do the Lord's Supper, right? You got the bread, which represents the body of Christ, the juice, which represents the blood of Christ, and you pray over those elements, and you remember the sacrifice that Jesus has made. Yeah. What and about I, when he says to, to do it every time you gather? He doesn't say to do it every time you gather. He says, ever so often, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So isn't, wouldn't that be considered as often as you do this as far as gathering together? No. As often as you take this ordinance. Mm is the way I interpret that. Gotcha. And so, um, you know, we choose to do it about once a quarter. So that's how often we do it. And as we do it, it's a very special time. It's a very intentional time. And, you know, it's not just a normal Sunday service. Yeah. It's Lord's Supper time. Yeah. And we take a moment to, to truly reflect on the great sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Yeah. And I think you lose some of that if you just do it every week because you kind of fall into a pattern. Uh, 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 you know, it becomes more of a, a ritual sure. than an ordinance. Yeah. Um, so kind of shifting gears, um, we're just all over the place. These are just random questions that the Internet has asked pastors. Um, I'm kind of cropping some of them a little bit. They're, some of them are longer and shorter and just kind of taking some of them. Um, but, uh, but another one is um, there's, there's a pretty decent movement of people, and this has been happening for a long time, but pretty decent movement of people, especially now, um, that kind of believe that the current church model is not something that Jesus would be just overly proud of, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, a lot of house church movements and things like that. 
And I, I kind of get a little torn on stuff like that because it's just like, oh, we don't agree with it, so we're just going to go do our own thing and do something better. And I, I don't think that that's always the answer. Um, but what's your opinion on the current church of today, not mm-hmm. just necessarily our church, but the church of today lining up with the biblical sense of community and of the body of Christ? Well, I think that if anybody demonstrated in the way they did ministry the importance of understanding your culture, it was Jesus. Yeah, I mean, the parables that he taught, the way that he interacted and engaged with the people in the cities that he went to, clearly demonstrated that he understood what was expected in the culture. Um, And so I don't think that there are any guidelines or uh, restrictions that that the Bible even remotely suggests that would say what we're doing in our Western culture is unbiblical. Um, it, it might not be the exact same as the way they did it in the New Testament because there's a different culture in the Middle East than there is in the United States of America. Uh, There's a different culture in that time period than there is in the 21st century. And so, yeah, there's going to be some discrepancies when you compare what the church today, uh, how, how the church today compares to the church back then, but it doesn't mean that that's wrong. You know, I think uh, at the end of the day, we're called to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We're called to uh, make disciples of all nations, teaching uh, people what the Word of God says, and we're called to continue to advance the gospel and share the message of hope of Christ. And however we can do that most effectively, I think that's what we should be doing. Now, if uh, house churches are more effective in reaching more people and discipling more people, then maybe that's worth looking at. But I think what's happened a lot of times is that you know people have thrown the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, because they look at the New Testament church and say, well, this is not how they did it. In which I would argue in in some instances that is how they did it. When Peter preached the gospel at Pentecost and 3,000 people got saved, he was preaching to a mass amount of people. He was preaching to at least 3,000 because that's how many got saved. And so uh, obviously there was a large group of people there. There was one speaker, um, and it wasn't in, in a house church. There are also examples of people worshiping and doing life together from house to house. And I think that's an important aspect of ministry and of the church. But even in the Western culture, you have that as well. You have it in Sunday school, life groups, connect groups, D groups. I mean, even in larger churches where there's a large gathering where there's one message that goes out to a large group of people and there's a time of worship where we gather together in a large corporate setting, There are also small groups in which we're intentional about building relationships and doing life together. And so I think all of those things are more cultural than they are biblical. And there's not a right or wrong. There's most effective, 
least effective, and that's really what we need to be paying attention to, the more practical aspects of how effective are we being in reaching people and are we being good stewards of the resources that God has given us? Are we getting the gospel out? And are we making an impact in our community? And I would argue that we're doing a great job of that here, and we have a very, uh, very Western culture style church. Yeah. And I don't see anything wrong with that. Yeah. So kind of taking the church and taking this question and looking at it from the church and, again, against the worldview as well, how, as a pastor, do you help people see the difference in religion and relationship? Well, religion, and you've got to communicate it from the pulpit. You've got to teach it. Uh, you've got to continue to emphasize it because religion, unfortunately, has become a substitute uh, to Christianity, and people have bought into religious exercises as a way of earning salvation, uh, making it to heaven, things like that. Religion is all about what you do to earn God's favor. Salvation, Christianity, is about what God has done for you to provide you with the means of salvation so that you can have a relationship with God and walk in, in the purpose that he and, and plan that he has for your life. And so you've got to continue to emphasize that. Like we're not here out of some religious duty and obligation. We're not checking things off of a list to try to earn God's favor. This is not about us saving ourselves through works or trying to make it to heaven through religion. This is a natural response to us understanding that God is gracious and God loved us enough to send Jesus to live a perfect life that we couldn't live and die a death that we deserve. He rose from the dead, and now, because of what he's done for us, we can have direct access to God and have a personal relationship with God. And because we understand the significance of that and how big of a deal that is, and we realize that the only uh, acceptable response is Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, the only acceptable response to that is to, to worship God and surrender our lives to Him. We do all of those things in response because we love God and understand the great sacrifice that Jesus has made for us, not because we're trying to earn that salvation. Yeah. So really swinging here and taking a, taking a, a, a big question that, has uh, come and gone in the church a lot. As a pastor, how do you navigate if this is a twofold question? One, you have people who claim to be believers um, and, and claim to have a relationship with Christ, but are living um, in, you, you kind of look at it from two, two lenses. One, uh, sin, as in um, they are in a, maybe like a, uh, in a adulterous relationship as far as like they are living together unmarried mm -hmm. um, as a male and female. And then also maybe looking at the, the LGBTQ community mm -hmm. and, and they're, they're living in you know that state. How do you navigate um, people in your congregation? Um, maybe, it's not a it's not a question of of can they be here because that's yes 
Right. But but how do you navigate them maybe trying to promote their lifestyle? Mm-hmm. Whether whether even not even like physically saying anything, but just like them publicly living that way and then being in your church trying to serve, trying to, you know, just live their life. How do you navigate that without maybe pushing them away? Yeah, it's a difficult balance, but the Word of God is pretty clear. If someone is walking in sin and you've talked to them about, we're not talking about, you know, falling into sin or, oh, I made a mistake, I blew it here, I blew it there. You're talking about actually a lifestyle of sin. They're walking in unrepentant sin. You've talked to them about it. It's public. People are aware of the sin that they're walking in and they refuse to repent, the Bible says that those are the people that you treat as unbelievers. Yeah. Now, what do we do for unbelievers? We don't shun them. We don't isolate ourselves from them. We don't tell them they're unwelcome in the church. But I'm not going to put an unbeliever in a place of leadership in the church. I'm not going to give them a role where people are looking up to them. And so that's how I would treat those people, whether it's people living together uh, that aren't married, or it's uh, you know people that are a part of the uh, homosexual community. Um, if they're walking in a lifestyle of sin, then they're not going to be put in leadership positions. Yeah. They're not going to be given roles where uh, people look up to them and and believe that we are endorsing their behavior. We're going to continue to love them. We're going to continue to point them towards. Jesus and and what God's word says, and we're going to continue to challenge them to get those things right in their lives, and we're going to continue to tell them, hey, you're you're welcome here, and we'll pray that the gospel penetrates their hearts, but we're not going to place them in leadership positions or roles where people are going to look up to them, uh, because that's what the Bible says we should do. Yeah. So what about in beyond that, if uh, you have someone, um, same same premise of the other question, wanting to be uh, married in the church. Um, how, how do you feel about that? So are you saying uh, two men or two women want to get married, or are you saying Both. two people living together want to get married? Twofold. People living together wanting to get married, and then also someone from the LGBTQ community. Okay, so I, those are two totally different situations to me, because if someone from the LGBTQ community wants to get married, then um, my answer is no. That's that's not God's design for marriage, and there's no way for me to justify endorsing something that is against God's design and against God's will. If someone that is living together and in an inappropriate relationship between a man and a woman wants to get married, then I'm not I'm not going to not marry them because that is a type of repentance. I mean, yeah. one way that they can repent from that is moving out. Another way they can repent from that is getting married and, yeah. and making it right. Now, uh, I, that's kind of one of those things that's debatable, and I know that there's pastors that um, I I love and respect that would say, I'm not going to marry them because I'm not going to endorse a relationship that doesn't honor God. And my response to that would be, 
I'm not endorsing a relationship that doesn't honor God. I am helping them get their relationship to where it does honor God. Yeah. Because there are two ways that they can fix the situation. One is to to move out and to separate. And the other is to make their living situation honoring to God. And the only way it's honoring to God when a man and woman are living together and sleeping together is if they're married. Yeah. And so if they want to get married, let's do it. So this is... um this is a big question. Um, it's really becoming way more, um, the question not specifically, but the topic is becoming way more publicized these mm-hmm. days. Um, and this would be one of the last questions that we have. Um, but um, if a trans woman, mm-hmm. um, so someone who biologically started out as a as a male mm-hmm. and then transitioned into being a woman mm-hmm. and went through the full process surgeries and all mm-hmm. and lived their life as a woman and then wanted to be married to a man in the church mm-hmm. how do you respond to that well do you know for sure like do you, do you know for sure that that's happened in this situation, I don't. I'm. I'm just asking. Because if, if you don't know, then how would you? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, so unless so they share that with yeah, so you, saying, then you don't saying, necessarily saying, know. Saying you know. Saying you know. I mean, there's some instances where you'll have you'll you'll have no idea, but then I feel like there's some instances where you're like, okay, you know, <laughs> but yeah, like, or you have suspicions. I mean, you. I just. It's becoming such a popular topic in the mainstream community between, you know, trans athletes and things like that. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious to your opinion on uh, on marrying someone who genuinely believes that they're a male or genuinely believes that they're a woman and makes that transition to then live a lifestyle that way. Yeah, that... Um, and if you don't have an answer, that's okay. My answer would be we would need to have a lot of counseling. Yeah. And we would need to talk through a lot of different uh, specifics in, in regards to what Scripture teaches about marriage and the design of fell, uh, fell. <laughs> male and female fell, I guess would be a good way to describe that uh, uh, in multiple ways. That's uh, not... Yeah, failure and fail and male, female mixed together. It's, that's just a disastrous situation is what I'm saying, Cam. Um, yeah, because here's the deal. If they have transitioned from being a male to a female, for them to enter into a relationship with a female would be against Scripture. If they're a female, right? Yeah. Because that would be um, two females together, technically. Sure. For them to embrace an identity that God did not give them as a female with a male in a heterosexual relationship, that would be against Scripture because God did not create them as a female. Uh 
male and female. He created them as male, and, male and, male. and male. Yeah. So that's that's not okay. But then how do you repent of that situation? How do you reverse that? I mean, I'm sure there's scientifically, medically ways that it can be done, but, man, you're getting into all kinds of craziness there. Yeah. So, like I said, a lot of counseling. I would not feel comfortable marrying... um, I, I would not feel comfortable doing a wedding for someone that's gone through a transition, whether they're marrying a male or a female. Yeah. And we would just need to walk through all of those things. But how do you move forward at that point? Um, I don't know. I mean, ending your life's also not a, a part of God's plan. You know, I talked about that Sunday. Yeah. Uh, so you can't give up on life, but have you basically shot yourself in, in the foot of having a romantic relationship at all at that point? I I don't know. Yeah. You're in a mess at that point. Yeah. That's what I would say. Yeah. Uh, but I would continue to communicate God's grace is sufficient, forgiveness is available, restoration, redemption, all of those things. And as a church, we still uh, love you. And uh, ultimately, God can work through any mess in our lives and create a a testimony uh, from poor decisions that we've made. But at the end of the day, there, there are a lot of dynamics involved in that hypothetical situation that we would have to discuss and go to the scriptures on yeah i thought we stumped him with that one i thought we i think there's a couple question marks coming out of his out of his ears right now you know i think you know kind of um you may never find yourself in that situation i just like i said it just uh, questions that i'm reading and then seeing it become more popular in culture just questions that may arise i'd be asking god a lot of questions if i got into that situation yeah Laura, you're going to have to help me deal with this one. Sure. Uh, I need some help here. Right, right. (laughs) So, well, that's all the questions um, that I think are applicable. A lot of the other ones have to do with, like, the hiring of a pastor, you know, and those types of things and questions along those lines that aren't being asked by just general church members. So, Who are they being asked by? Like the search committee. Oh, okay. And, like, their questions based more on, like, you know, like, theology preferences and backgrounds yeah. and, you know, things like so that. So are we doing so, those next time, or what are we doing? No, nah, I was just asking general oh, okay. church questions, you know, for, like, the listener, questions that maybe listeners might have asked or similar questions, you know, somewhere in the ballpark that they may have had that they've just never asked their pastors, you know. Um, yeah. You know, that that type of thing. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, got got some other stuff coming up that we want to talk about um, next week, um, and uh, you know, disappointing some some disappointing things that you look at the culture and makes you sad. People that um, that seem to have it all put together, and then they kind of you see the the reality of it all. And so, I want to kind of explore some of that mm. and uh, talk about some of those circumstances and cases and um, and look to Jesus in those mm. moments. And, uh, and so, uh, but you got any specific examples you can leave them with, get them looking forward to the next episode. 
Well, uh, a couple of the instances, hot topics right now. Um, you know the the um, King Richard. Yeah, that's one of them actually. Uh, one of them is uh, the the drummer uh, for the Foo Fighters uh, was found dead a couple of days ago. It's been probably a week now, oh, two no. weeks. Um, I did not know and, that. Uh, yeah, they they won three Grammys last night, um, and uh, just a, like a week after his passing. Um, and um, they canceled their tour, and uh, just a, a lot of sadness. Uh, the day that their newest album released, um, he was found dead in Colombia, um, where they were set to headline a uh, festival. And um, did he, he take his own life? That that hasn't come out yet. Gotcha. They did say that he f- they found ten different substances in his body. Oh, wow. um, so it could have been accidental, could have been intentional, could have been a whole slew of things. And so I um, want to just kind of deep dive into some of those mm-hmm. stories and stuff. And then also looking at things like Will Smith and some of those uh, some of those different things and what it looks like to be in the public eye and uh, to, to have the sad reality of life come crashing back down. But so we'll talk about some of those things and ultimately it all points back to Jesus and uh, points back to you could have the world, but what is it to gain the world and lose your soul? And uh, we just hope and pray that those guys have met and known Jesus mm-hmm. and, um, you know, uh, talk about the ins and outs of, of those types of things. So we'll explore that some in the coming weeks. And uh, I've but, got a good song for that, actually. Oh, okay. You ready for it? Sure. Sing us out. Know what this is? Old school Old casting school. crowns. Here we go. Close the curtain on that stained glass masquerade. You don't know nothing about that, Cam. Sure I do. No. They came out with that song and you were in diapers. No. That song, that album. That's not that old. That album, (laughs) that album has, uh, I'm pretty sure that album has East, how far the East is from the West. The Voice of Truth. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was the good Casting Crowns days. I mean, I'm not saying they're bad now, but... Pretty I, sure he just said that Casting no, Crown sucks now. No, no. I'm saying when that album dropped, they were like... They were they, they They were they were the Bethel Hillsong and Elevation of Christian music at that point. Yeah. Especially that, everybody didn't especially, hate them. And especially that I Can Only Imagine song. <laughs> that's, that's mercy. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> the the joke there's a joke there the joke is is that people think that casting crown sings that song oh really yeah a lot of people think i can only imagine it's casting crowns i can only imagine why they would think that and at casting crowns concerts they'll say we don't sing i can only imagine it's it's pretty funny 
even my dad, one day we were talking, I was saying something about Cast of Crimes. He's like, I love that. I can only imagine song. And I was like, ah. not them. But Mercy Me is just as big. You know. eh, casting Crowns was at the at the, at time, the time casting at the crowns. time that that album came out they were they were just as big as each other. Mm. They were they were both the the big dogs. I don't know. There was one more big dog. No, we've got us on a tangent here. You you know who the other big dog was? Toby Mac. <laughs> what? Toby Mac? Yeah. At that time? Nah, he's been around since the dawn of time. No, it wasn't Toby Mac. Here's who it was, Cam. Lay it flat. That's Toby Mac. That is not Toby Mac. Yes, it is. That is Toby Mac as a part of the band, the group, the one and only DC Talk. DC Talk. Toby Mac. That's like calling in sync Justin Timberlake. They're not the same thing, Cam. Yeah, They're but not I, the same thing. But the, also, DC Talk was way before that album came out. Yeah, I I'm don't looking know. it up right now. I'm, I I'm, think it's around the same time. No. Casting Crowns and DC Talk, no. Jesus Freak. No. They were within 10, 12 years of one another or something. <laughs> <laughs> same decade. It's, it says currently that they were 1987 to present. They're on a hiatus. Who? DC Talk. No, really? That's what it says. <laughs> They're on a hiatus. Their last album. Jesus Freak. When did Jesus Freak come out? So, Jesus Freak came out in 1995. 95. Okay, so when did the Casting Crown album come that out? That album came out, the album that you're talking about, yeah. uh-huh. came out, uh, was that Alter in the Door? Yeah. Or was it Life Song? Which one was it? Uh, whichever one came out first. No. Yeah. Which one was it? No, which one was it? What? 95. So, when... Whoa. I'm pretty sure that was Alter in the Door. It came out in 2007. No, when did the other one come out? 2005. Yeah, so same decade. No. Ish. That one was 95 to 2005. That one was Alter in the Door. And I'm I'm guarantee the the one with the pages on the front of it, that was Alter in the Door. And it came out in 2007. Two years post decade. Stained glass masquerade. Oh, no, it wasn't. Album, what do you think it is? Actually, it might have been later than that. It was Life Song. It was Life Song. See, two thousand five. That's still ten years apart. Eh, same decade. Ten years apart. That's the same decade. If you start the decade in ninety five, it's the same decade. Ten years apart, and the decade doesn't start in ninety five. Ah, it's all right. So, well, um, yeah, a little trip down memory lane. Trip down church camp memory lane. But I was actually wrong, too. Uh, East is from the West came out on Alter in the Door. It came out oh. the album after. Yeah. Um, That's that new school casting crowns. No. 
<laughs> no. I think Thrive would begin in 2014 would be the begin of the new Cast and Crowns. Uh. But so 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 that song let's see. Going back to to Mercy Me. So Mercy Me's older. Started in 94, Cast and Crowns started in 99. Um and um um so that I can only imagine came out four years before that stained glass masquerade. And uh yeah, so I mean, you know, it's they've been in, they've been nominated and won a whole lot of stuff. Who? Uh Mercy Me. DC Talk. <laughs> But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure. Woo! You don't know nothing about this one, Cam. Out of your adrenaline. Couldn't go to church camp in the 90s without singing Big House with all the hand motions and everything. Those were the days. DC talk and audio adrenaline back when you were just a young whippersnapper. So I told you they were like neck and neck. Now I've just been doing my research. Who's this? Mercy Me and Casting Crowds. Okay. All right. So, uh, Casting Crowns has won a Grammy and a Dove. Uh, Mercy Me has won numerous Dove awards, but they have not, they've been nominated, but have not won a Grammy. Uh-huh. Um, they have, um, Mercy Me has sold between 9 and 10 million units, records, mm-hmm. and Casting Crowns has sold 10 million units. But how many units has DC Talk sold? And how many awards have they won? Come on, we got we gotta we gotta share this with our listeners, just for those that doubt. Um, let's see. Uh, this one's not as easy to find. Um, DC Talk is like the Beatles of Christian music. Well, I'm looking at. Uh, I'm trying to. I'm trying to look at. I don't. I 
don't know if that's true. Except for the part where they say they were more popular than Jesus. DC Talk would never say that. Yeah, let's see. Uh, they won three Grammy, four Grammys. Uh-huh. A whole lot of Dove awards. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't say... How many albums they've sold? How many units? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to I bet it's more than 10 million. If Casting Crowns was 10 million, I bet DC Talk's way up there. Uh, it doesn't. Oh, uh, you're going to leave everybody on the edge of their seat. I'm, I'm just looking. We're going to have to find it, share it next week. Well,. It doesn't say. It's not as easy to find. I mean, they they have several albums that have sold over a million copies. So, but it doesn't just pull up as easily. Yeah. Toss about their album sales. So this one says that Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't say. It does not say. But um also the fact that there was a third member of DC Talk that no one talks about. Well, wow, it says Casting Crowns is actually sold. I don't know. Because it says Casting Crowns is sold 1.2 million albums. And DC Talk, 700,000. I don't think. No, they, they've sold over 10 million between their. I, well, I this this says that between DC Talk and, and his solo career, Toby has sold more than 10 million albums. Yeah. But that's between the two. Yeah, but but yeah. So you just got to figure out how many Toby Mac is sold. He has sold a lot. He's sold a lot. You said, uh, let's see, Casting this? Crowns and Mercy Me were both a million. No, ten million. Oh, they were ten million. Yeah. Yeah. And Toby Mac is just over ten million. Yeah. Oh wow, that's a lot of albums, though. Oh, that's true. I think DC Talk was selling stuff they weren't recording it or something. They didn't record the data. Yeah. They they were bad before they started recording the data. Mm-hmm. Google ain't got enough information from DC Talk. I don't think that that's true. Yeah, but. probably not. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, they they sold a lot, but. Um, Anyway, so well, there now you that go. we've gone off on the musical tangent, <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, good. Ten million is a lot of. It's a lot. A lot. A lot of anything. Yeah. Ten million is a lot of anything. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's a lot. But DC Talk won four Grammys. Yeah. Compared to like, Casting Crowns and Mercy Me, winning what one apiece. No, just one, I think. Total. Mm-hmm. DC Talk won four. That ain't nothing. Chris Ableton won three in one night. 
DC Talk. <laughs> Slightly different genre than Chris Stapleton. Yeah. That's like, uh, what's your name? Uh, Shania Twain? No. Um, Billie Eilish won like like seven one year. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. Those ones are weird, too. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. all right. All right. We'll we got to wrap it week. up. Next week, episode 56. Six. All right. Next week, episode 56. We'll see you then. Follow you. Anyway.